When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. My name is Mark, and I'm your host. I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials kit. It has an incredible Lyra microphone and the best set of headphones that I've ever used. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, this is the best, most affordable way to get started with it. Justin Greaves of Cripple Black Phoenix joins the podcast family this week. Not only do we talk about Cripple Black Phoenix, its formation, its troubles, its resurrection, and the new album, we go even further back. We go back past Electric Wizard, past Armor of God, past Hard to Swallow, and even past Iron Monkey. We go all the way back to Justin's dad's record shop and how that informed his desire to create music that he hadn't heard yet. We do discuss all those bands and more, so don't worry. And Justin's cat, Fang, joins us for a bit while we talk about Crippled Black Phoenix being Punk Floyd, Gravity Bikes, and we create new genres of music like Doom Disappointment. Follow Crippled Black Phoenix on Facebook and Instagram at CBP underscore 444. Follow us at Performance ANX on all the socials. Coffee from ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety is always appreciated. Merch can be found at performanceanx.threadless.com. And as always, review, rate, and subscribe. It really helps us reach more people. Now let's get on with the show with Justin Greaves of Crippled Black Phoenix on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Well, uh, you're listening to uh, me, Justin Greaves, and uh, I'm talking to my buddy Mark on Performance Anxiety, and, you know, we're chatting about music and film and life in general, and uh, yeah... Okay, ride bikes and be good. <laughs> no, yeah, that's whatever. That's, that's cool. If you can use that, use that. Thank you so much, man. This is uh, this is really awesome. I've been listening to Cripple Black Phoenix for ever. Oh. <laughs> well, no accounting for taste. <laughs> <laughs> so you fit right into this podcast. All right. Nice. You got the feel for it already. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll, tell, I'll tell you now, I've got two Bengal cats here, and they're, they're nuts, so you, you probably see and hear a lot of shouting and stuff. So. No problem. No problem. My dog makes a cameo every once in a while, but he's in the kitchen, so, uh, so he's... Well, I want to... Before we get started, really, I do want to thank Susie Stapleton for getting us connected. Yeah. She was awesome, and I really do appreciate her connecting me with you, and I thank you for joining me today. That's uh, no problem, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, nice, nice of uh, Susie to hook it up as well. Yeah, so, she was a lot of know, fun. Out of the blue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was uh, uh, definitely a character. Uh, it's funny, because uh, when she uh, she came to the studio, when I was doing Ellen Geist, and uh, yeah, I mean, her, her and 
Belinda got on like a house on fire because oh, awesome. they're both completely nuts and you know <laughs> Belinda's like a mongrel she's got like Croatian parents she's a Swedish citizen oh wow but she's actually born in Australia oh wow yeah, yeah. so you know she's a real <laughs> mongrel but the Australian connection I think it was the you know, real set them off so. that is awesome oh man yeah, yeah, they had a good time when I started going back uh, and listening to Cripple Black Phoenix again like Man, Belinda's just awesome. I gotta go and start digging deep into her stuff now. Yeah, I mean, she's she's she does have a backstory and history as well, you know. Yeah, I mean, she's she's actually she's been with with Cripple Black Phoenix. I mean, she's she was on Crafty Ape, so I mean, that was 2011 when we recorded that. So, wow, God, that's that's the first time she did something with us, you know. Um, but then because obviously me and her are an item, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, we, at first, I mean, we're not really keen on sort of mixing personal relationships and, and well, what we do, like, you know, music makes and everything. Sense. Yeah. And Belinda had kind of retired from music anyway at that point. Ah. Yeah. I mean, we've all had bad experiences through our lives in the music industry. I mean, it can be pretty shit at times, you know? Yeah. So... She, she'd gone through that, you know, she'd gone through a kind of hate phase, I guess. And, uh, but then we started doing Say Land, you know? Yeah. Which was, uh, you know, we did a couple of albums on Case Code and stuff. And then she, she came on tour with CBP, but she would never come on tour if she wasn't doing something. So she came and sold merch so she could get, make a bit of pocket money, you know? Oh, okay. But she, she would never come to hang out. She, she, she always says she doesn't want to come and hang out with bands. She's not into that. But if, okay. if she was working, if, she, if we were paying her for something, then she'd come, you know? Yeah. So she came and she was doing the merch. And then when she was doing the merch, she got up on stage and did a couple of songs that she'd done on, like, you know, Crafty Ape or whatever. Oh, wow. And then it sort of developed from there. And then she did a couple more songs. And the next album, she did a couple of songs. And it basically, she, it sort of it sort of grew, she grew back into it and she grew into, she kind of grew into the band. Oh, I mean, I, I consider that Belinda's been part of CBP since 2011. I, I go right back to where she did the first vocal session with us. You know, so. Well, I mean, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, at that point, if she's been a, cons- uh, like a consistent part that whole time, yeah. yeah. But she's been like, I mean, she's one of the longest serving members of the band you know i mean yeah. she's she's more novice she's more family you know yeah i think that i think that gets missed sometimes you know i mean of course i'm biased because it's she's my partner but yeah she's not in the band because of that right 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 we were we you know that came much later and yeah. we actually we actually tried to steer away from it from it for, for a long time but the oh. thing is you know we both do it. We both love doing it. We're both in the same things. I mean, and then it's just in the end, you just think we're too old and lazy to even bother trying to trying to be something or trying not to be something. Right. Let's just do what we let's just do what we want, you know. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to answer to anybody, really. No, exactly, I mean, exactly. You... So, uh, and I'm and I think CBP have totally benefited from Belinda doing more because. Especially on the new stuff, she's really stepped up a game. I mean, she's like another level now, you know, <laughs> which is great for us. It's great, great for her, but great for us. You yeah. know. <laughs> oh, hey, cat. <laughs> this is Fangs, by the way. Oh, wow. Hey, Fangs. Wow, beautiful so, cat. 
Yeah, I might have to um, shut him out in a bit, though, because he, he gets really impatient when he wants to go for it, because I have to take him for a walk. Oh, really? On the harness, yeah, because they're not outdoor cats. Ah. Uh, because uh, they're Bengals, you see. Okay. Um, if, he get, if he gets really annoying, I'll just put him out for a little while. <laughs> no there, like an hour. So how did, I want to know how you got into music in the first place. I know you actually have quite an unusual history, and, and I guess... Uh, origin story if we're going to go superhero type of thing as far as music is concerned you, you you grew up in your dad owned a record store yeah yeah basically i grew up in a record shop that's <laughs> right yeah i'm assuming but is that what really sparked your love of music in the first place uh i mean there's music in the family you know okay um so so i think i was probably born sort of predisposed kind of like you know i've always been a sort of um I think differently. I'm left-handed. I'm, I'm into art. I'm into music, you know. Yeah. I didn't do well academically at school, but I did well at creative things, you know. So that's obviously I'm that kind of person anyway without even choosing to be. And my first performance was like when I was about 10 years old and, and I borrowed my, one of my dad's drums and, and I played along with some Adam and the Ants for a school assembly, you oh. know. <laughs> Oh man, that's pretty good. I mean, Adam and Adam yeah, and the so, ants. Well, yeah, it's it, everything's down to Adam and the ants. That's I mean, that's what that's what made me want to be a drummer. Really? Yeah, that's why I started. You know, I've been a drummer for most of my life. It's only because I only started playing guitar when I did Cripple Black Phoenix. Really? Yeah, yeah, and and it was just out of necessity, you know, to write my own songs, and then I ended up playing on stage. You know, when we play live, I play guitar now, so I've turned into a guitarist. Well, I'm not, I'm not a guitarist. I'll tell you now, I am no guitarist. You, I'm the dude that plays guitar. Because you, you play in an unusual fashion. I mean, you're you're left-handed, but you play right-handed. Yeah, which means I have a, a little bit like a bit janky kind of style of playing. You know, I tend to play a lot of chords that are unresolved. Oh. Um, so I kind of play half the chord, but leave the rest of the the strings open. But then I don't, I don't tune the strings into a chord. I just have like standard tuning, concert pitch standard tuning. Wow! Because uh, maybe it's like a little bit like an e e easy kind of trick to do when you when you tune, okay, tune into a chord. Because then you're just like no 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 no, you know, <laughs> down. It doesn't seem very challenging to me. <laughs> anyway, I digress. No, I'm a drummer. For... <laughs> so I, I'm assuming we're drums the first instrument you you took up then yeah drums and then then uh, then i was playing bass when i was a teenager played in a couple of local punk bands playing bass still playing drums and then i, I basically i suppose i cut my teeth really i went through i went through all kinds of hell playing drums with bands you know oh really uh, that, was, that was my first professional kind of things you know going on tour and putting out albums and yeah. You know, and then actually getting paid for when when bands used to get paid for playing gigs. You yeah, know? <laughs> way um, back when, huh? <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a time where I was like, you know, I could pay my rent. <laughs> yeah. So I, I heard a story that uh, when you were a kid, your dad actually made you listen to some prog rock. <laughs> kinda, it's kind of kind of true. How, so how did you get into that? And was it like a quiz at the end or something? He gave you a box and said, "All right, <laughs> there'll be a test at the no, end of the week." I mean, no, I think I think because my dad's so easygoing, really, you know. Um, and 
see when I was younger he, he he used to bring home like seven inch singles and things like that and I was always allowed to listen to whatever I wanted whatever kind of music I wanted to listen to I was allowed nice. to listen to uh, which was amazing I'm so lucky oh yeah so really before anything I was really like a very young punk rocker yeah uh, because my sister my sister's like four years older than me she was hanging out with the local goths and punks yeah. you know oh um and I helped my dad decorate the shop one time and, and he said I could have any album I wanted from the shop as, as a payment, you know? Okay. So, of course, I went for the fluorescent <laughs> yellow cover of Nevermind the Bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I was never the biggest Sex Pistols fan, but that, that was like my introduction into punk rock and I went s straight into like the more hardcore oh, punk rock. Oh, wow. So, I must have really like, you know, because... When I was really young, it was like Adam and the Ants. It's kind of heavy drumming, you know. I like oh, yeah. that very heavy stuff, you know. So then it was like punk rock, and then it was Motorhead and Venom, and it was it was Discharge. It was all that kind of stuff. Okay. And then obviously thrash metal came along, and yeah. it was like, oh, you know, I digress. But yeah, when I was listening to a lot of punk, my dad did. He had a box of vinyl, and it was things like. Um, I mean, it was like Iron Maiden and, and things like that, but yeah. there was also Deep Purple and Demon and and things like that, um, and Pink Floyd, obviously. And, you know, it's, it was a really eclectic taste, and it was really good, you know, when it's like kind of 70s, the really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he just said, yeah, work your way through that, have a listen, you know. And, wow. of, of course, the darker, darker stuff like Pink Floyd or the heavier stuff like Demon or whatever, you know, at that point in my life, even though it's not heavy, it seemed it at it's, the time. Yeah, it really did. Like you listen to old Iron Maiden, and and I, and I remember my parents hating it. You know, like no, I don't want that in my house, kind of thing. And then you listen to it now, and I'm like that's really nothing comparatively speaking. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I remember like driving my sister mad by playing Venom. <laughs> you know, really loud. Yeah, you know. So it goes. It must have made an impression on me back then. Even I didn't even realize it. But, uh, man. Oh. Actually, that reminds, it reminds me of the little stories that, that um, I had uh, some product that Sex Pistols kind of thing they did after, you know, oh, whatever. Okay. And it had. Uh, can you remember the song "You Silly Thing"? I don't. You know, it kind of goes, "Oh, you silly thing, you've really gone and done it now." Oh, anyway. Okay. There's a line in there where it says, hi, boys, I'm the chosen one. Can't you fucking see? Right? <laughs> right. And it was like, oh, it's just it's so rebellious. Anyway, I was like 10 or 11 years old. I was just on my way up to the secondary school. But I took a tape recorder, a little, well, it was a portable tape recorder, but in them days, it was still like this big. Yeah, I had one of those. Um, yeah, and I used to play it on the bus. Anyway, I was in the <laughs> playground playing this bit, and I kept playing this song because it had swearing in it yeah. <laughs> anyway it got confiscated i got caught and i was taken to the headmistress oh. they called my dad right so my dad had to come all the way from town you know half an hour drive oh i was in the in the playground and i saw him go into the the school a few minutes later he came out my dad just walked past me and winked right and apparently, I find out years later that my dad, he didn't care what I was listening to. They were trying to get, you know, they were telling me I'm in trouble for listening to this horrible thing. Right. My dad didn't care about that. 
but he gave the headmistress a bollocking for dragging him all the way from work for that. <laughs> oh, I love you. Like, obviously, I didn't know. I didn't know this until years later, you know. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You're dead. I mean, how cool, how cool is that? You know? Oh, you're dead the best. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that was kind of, you know, that's, that's how I grew up, you know. So I could basically listen to stuff. I had access to it as well, which is an amazing thing, you know. Very lucky to have um, the, the kind of record shop is like, very much like a rock shop but we did we did do the charts and the pop stuff as well obviously yeah because it's on the high street shop you know yeah but it was very much like very alternative punk hard you know hard rock it sounds you know yeah i mean it sounds like if you you know you're telling me you're bringing what he's bringing home for you to listen to it sounds like it was an incredible shop i would have loved it it was i miss it a lot actually he closed in 2007 and it was a the typical story of like, well, at first it was the, the the major chain stalls. They came and went, but he survived. Then it was the supermarkets with all their super cheap deals with the major labels. Oh, wow. And, and, still, and they had to compete with that. And then you get the internet. Yep. And he survived for a, for a good while. He survived for about maybe to almost 10 years with the, with the internet stuff. By the time it got to streaming... You know, 2000, 2006, 2007, when that started, yeah, that basically finished it off. That and finished off a lot. Got, yeah, and the other thing is that the town centre as well. You know, it's in a, it's in like an industrial kind of town, and uh, everybody was losing their jobs because it was like the, it's all centred around the steelworks in Scunthorpe. Ah, uh, okay. So then the government sell off the steel industry, or everybody loses their jobs. The town centre goes in decline. Yep. You've got streaming, you've got the, you know, you've got major labels as well, being greedy, and that was it. It was the perfect yeah. storm, because yeah. at the end of that movie, everybody dies, so. Yeah, but he's kind of like a zombie then, because he came back and he, he's now selling, he's, he managed to save a lot of the shop's stock. Oh, wow. So we're actually sat on here, we're sat on tens of thousands of, um, New old stock vinyl and secondhand vinyl as well. Oh, wow. And he's grad- gradually selling just that's his kind of retirement thing. He just sits and lists it on eBay and sells it gradually. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to sort out all the seven inches. We've got tens of thousands of seven inch singles. Wow. Crazy stuff as well. Absolutely crazy stuff. Oh, man. So, well, I'm looking for uh, a band I recently got into is Swans. So I'm going to, I'll be keeping an eye oh, on yeah. some Swans. The trouble is, I was, all the Swan stuff I'm keeping. That's <laughs> I was kind of afraid you're going to say that. <laughs> because that's my bag. That is, I love Swans. Yeah, I kind of I was aware of Swans in the late '80s, and it was all like kind of cop and greed and that kind of stuff, yeah. really industrial. And I I knew them because I was re- I was into industrial music as well, and I really liked things like um, you know, obviously the the weirder stuff as well, and Throbbing Gristle, and then like you know bands like later on cop shoot cop and things like that but i like that really heavy industrial uh kind of percussion kind of stuff yeah like Neubauten. but then when like you say when white light and and um love of life i can remember it like in the shop there was the double cd box the black oh. box with the silver thing yeah and it was like i was sorry i was like what the hell is that and I looked at it, it was like, oh, this is Swans. And I was and I was blown away by the whole box and the covers, the yeah. album covers. I was like, I'm going to get back into Swans. And, uh, and that whole era, so my favorite Swans era is that middle era that includes White Light, Love of Life, um, Children of God, yes. and 
Burning World. Now, the Burning oh. World is that's Jaira's. He doesn't like that one. That's right. like so the worst album. That's my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know it was the, their major label thing and all that, but yeah, maybe but... The, I can't comment on that because obviously as an artist you like and hate albums for different reasons and yeah. everything I, i'm the same most people's favorite cbp album is is probably one that i hate yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know so there you go yeah what do we want? Yeah. yeah exactly exactly so when did you start forming bands and playing out in public with other people i mean i i've always been just a, a, a like drummer in a band really i mean i've always written music I've always written songs for the bands that I've been in, but mm-hmm. they've never been sort of my bands. I mean, the first kind of band that I've left my own little area, the band called LAL, which is like a, I had it from school, you know? Okay. Like a hardcore grind band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like really just noise, you know? Yeah. And uh, one of our first gigs was with uh, Napalm Death. Wow. Uh, at the Kaleidoscope in Birmingham, and that was in 1988. Oh, wow. So that was with the classic lineup. That was Lee Dorian and Bill Steer and Mickey Harris and Shane. Oh, man. Um, so that was like the, the classic scum from Obliteration era. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I remember because it was just before I learned, it's just before I passed my driving test. I think I was like <laughs> 17 at the time. And uh, we had to go on a train to okay. Birmingham. We played with no bass player because his mum wouldn't let him go. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then after the gig, we hung around and we was talking so long. We missed our train home, so we had to sleep in the Birmingham train station in the telephone box. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was an early, early uh, experience. But it's a hell of a way really to break in. Yeah, I mean, super lucky though because that kind of U- UK crusty hardcore scene of the late eighties, you know, the John Peel kind of stuff. And, yeah like Extreme Noise Terror and Doom and Bolt Thrower and Napalm Death and Electro Hippies and such amazing time, amazing bands, amazing shows. The shows, everything you could play like in the local town and there'd be 200 people there and they'd all be going crazy. Wow. Different times, man. Yeah. yeah. No, I've never seen it like that since. It came about the mid-90s, all that sort of stuff really sort of died out. Yeah. Th- things were just shifting at that point. It was just a really... Weird to from that to the early 2000s were just a weird, weird time. Everything started to shift, like even yeah. we were talking about before with streaming and all. It just, I think, yeah, music, the internet, you know, yeah, the internet really devalued music a lot, yeah, and it, and it broke it broke up a lot of close contact scenes, yeah. So, like, before, before all that, like I said, that, that kind of UK underground scene, mm-hmm. people were like calling people up on the phone you know you go to your telephone box and put money in and, and talk to a, lo- a promoter in Birmingham like I, I was literally doing that you know and um Daz Russell the, the promoter you know Simon from Cerebral Fix put me in touch with this guy Daz Russell okay and I was in the telephone box put, feeding it 10 peas <laughs> and he was and he was like yeah I'll put you on with Napalm Death you know Man. and that's how things happen so you speak to people with your voice, you go and meet them, you go, you travel to places, yep. you meet other bands, you write to each other on paper, you send each other cassette tapes. Yeah. And th- th- all of that, basically, when, when the internet come along, it basically, it disbanded that because it gave people access to so much stuff. And all of a sudden they were like, they would drop their local scene and, yep. and listen to things from Mexico or something like that. And, yeah. you know, 
There was, I mean, that's great and everything, but but it it didn't keep anything together. Yeah, it, it's it's great to be able to. To, to broaden your horizons like that, but it also, like you're saying, really had a bad effect on local things because you had an investment when you yeah. had to feed the phone or buy cassettes, mail them out, you know, spend the money for the postage yeah. to mail it out. And now yeah. it's just an email, you attach a file, send it away, and it's forgotten about. It's, it's exactly like you said, you, you, you invest, you, you appreciate things more. It's like when you spend your money, on, on an actual physical product, you just appreciate it more because you've got something to show for your for, for your money. You know, it's not throw away and thing. And I think things should cost money. Yeah. You know, I'm no capitalist, right? I don't make money anymore out of doing music right. because of the whole world situation and everything. But I still do it. You know, I don't I, I don't do it for the well. I have to pay my bills, but I don't. It's not the this main is not focus. I do for money. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. I need to do this. The money side of it's a bonus if I get it. Yeah. But anyway, that side, somebody invests their whole kind of life and passion and everything into making an album. I don't think people should really just get it for free because that person won't be able to do it anymore if if that continues. It's not sustainable. So exactly. I didn't. I never minded paying for albums. No. You know, I'd, I'll, if I download something, I'll pay for it even. But back in you know, like I said, I sound like an old old fogey but back in the day when you did have cassettes and vinyl and everything because it cost you money you hold that a lot more dear yeah you know and you, you yes. do invest your time you know because you could you used to go into a record shop and browse through and you would take a chance on an album you didn't know what it was but you bought it because of the album cover yes and it, and it's that whole gamble. You didn't know whether you're going to like it or not, you know? Exactly. I did that. One of my favorite things to do would be, let's say there's an album that I absolutely loved. I would read the liner notes in depth. I, and I, I would just read over and over again, e even more so than lyrics. I would read the liner notes and I would say, all right, they're thanking this band for touring with them. They're thanking this band and this band. And that's how I found some of my favorite bands. But again, yeah. you're just going off of the association with this band you love you're taking a gamble on that band. It's like an educated guess, isn't it? Exactly. You, think, you look at the cover and you think, well, this looks interesting. And then you, like you say, you start reading, you think, oh, it's on such and such a label. Or that guy's got um, a siege uh, t-shirt on or a you know, life sentence t-shirt on or something. And, and yes. you go, okay, well, if these guys are into cryptic slaughter, then I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chance on them. You know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I can't even tell you how many albums I bought because of cover art. There's there's some bands that nobody knows about. There's this awesome band from the '90s called Collision that I, I love. Oh, yeah. They only put out two albums. There, well, there were two right. Collisions. There's one punk band and one more, more of a rock band. And I I got into more of the rock band, and uh, they're out of New York City. And uh, there's another band called The Beyond that I really thought their first not the, not the English beyond <laughs> I don't remember it the album was it was like an underwater picture of a whole school of hammerhead sharks yeah it is yeah they're, they're a British band the beyond I think I saw the beyond and they were supporting I think it was like Faith No More but it that was in the great. late 80s Faith No More came over and played played in Scunthorpe, which is like, it's not even a big town, but it was with Chuck Mosley. It was, oh, they, they, just released, they just released the original We Care A Lot. Yeah. Right? The, the only album you could get was the one with the Star of David on it and yeah. everything, you know. And of course, I'd already sort of heard it and liked it from it being in the shop, right? Yeah. 
but they they were not very well known at all and and they played at the the local venue and there must have been about 30 or 40 people there it was the local kind of scene guys you know what i mean it was like oh well, there's a band and you always see the same 40 50 people at every gig <laughs> yeah yeah and that was really good and that they they were really really good that day and then they actually came back when with mike Patton about yes. 2 years later right the venue was fucking rammed. Really? There was hundreds of people, yeah. And to be honest, and the Beyond played and, and a band called Scat Opera. And, um, you know, I think I prefer the Chuck Mosley gig. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not being a snob, but there was a lot more soul then. You know, I don't know why. I'm not, I'm, I think I'm not really a big Mike Patton fan, really. But, I'm hit and uh, miss with his stuff. I don't like the. I just don't like the the, the faith and more like the funky metal stuff. Right, and that's yeah, and that's the beyond of definitely along yeah, those I'm not, lines. I'm not big, I, I like crossover kind of genres. I like. Well, I mean, I like what I like, but yeah, a, a lot of that. I mean, I think some like bands like Mordred. It, it was a bit too hit and miss for me. Yeah, and faith, faith and more definitely had the songs. Yeah, that's the thing. You you can't just do a crossover, and it just work because you are a funk metal band or you're a you're a ska punk band or whatever. It doesn't matter what you are, as long as you've got the songs. It's like, I can't stand less than Jake. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Oh, really? Yeah, because the Boss Tones have got the songs. I, you know? I've never gotten into ska. I've, I've listened to it. One of my best friends loved it. Mm. And mm. I just... I it's, can... not, it's, not my, it's not my bag. Right. <laughs> oh, I can appreciate anything, so... You know, That's your record it's store... Not my bag. That's your record store background right there. You can appreciate it all. It's just uh, I've been able to hear so many things, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm just lucky, really. And, you know, like to keep an open mind. That's all it is, you know. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. What was the first band that actually got you in the studio and, and recording? I had a band called Life Class, which was about 89. That was the first sort of proper demo that we did in a, in a studio in Hull. In fact, Chapel Studio is where I record all the albums now. Okay. The first time I went there was in 92, I think. And that was with a band called Mental Seizure, which was, that was a proper band that by then. Okay. Um, we, were, we were kind of a local band, but we did UK tours. So we got out of our area and we did like lots of recording and things like that. Was that before or after uh, Hard to Swallow and Iron Monkey? Hard to Swallow was basically it was Metal Seizure. And then I moved down to Nottingham in about 93, I think it was. Okay. 93, 94 was a band called Bradworthy, which was a punk band that I did with, um, can you remember Unseen Terror? The earache band with basically it was um, Mitch Dickinson okay. and Shane Embry from Napalm Death. Oh, okay. They did Unseen Terror. Okay. Anyway, I did a punk band with Mitch Dickinson, and that got me involved with the music scene in Nottingham. Okay. And because of him, he was working at earache, and I got to know all the earache guys very well. Of course, I already knew Napalm from a few years before right. because. <laughs> I was already in touch with like, cause Lee Dorian's a good friend of mine now, you know, awesome. from over the years. So yeah, it all made sense. Everything was, there's a small world, everything coming together. Yeah. Hard to Swallow, I think was the end of 94.
95, definitely 95. It could have been 94, but definitely 95. And that basically, I dropped everything else because as soon as I was, I kept on doing Hard to Swallow, but I was in about three bands. I mean, I was in another band called Earth Town 9, and okay. I basically dropped, I dropped everything, carried on with Hard to Swallow, but it, as soon as I Monkey came along, that, that was like, oh, this is my band, my thing, you know? Yeah. Because it felt like, yeah, Every band that I was in, I felt it like it was my band as much as everybody else I'm, I'm talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, I know, I'd not really sort of formed the band since the ones at school and things like that. And Hard to Swallow, I joined Hard to Swallow after their drummer left. Okay. I, but I, Monkey, I knew Jim from the 80s. And then I knew Johnny separately because I met him in Nottingham because he worked in a skate shop. On the, I worked in another <laughs> record shop called Way Ahead. <laughs> So I was working in the record shop in Nottingham and Johnny was working in the skate shop just on the same street. Oh, and we okay. used to, he used to come in and he used to sell him hardcore records. You know, <laughs> we were both into like bands like Integrity and Sam Black Church and all that real hardcore. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So me and him got friends and we ended up going and playing snooker at the snooker place all across the road after work. It turns out that Johnny knew my friend Jim Rushby separately. Oh, Okay. Right, so we both knew the same guy, but from different times. That's funny. <laughs> and we were both we were both played in bands with him and things, right? So we got talking like, oh my god, I can't believe we've we both know Jim. Where is he now? Oh, he's in Bradford. Jumped in my car. We we, we drove to Bradford. <laughs> Johnny knew where he lived, right? I didn't know where he lived, but Johnny did. And we drove up there and we knocked on his door, and he come to the door. Of course, he knows both of us, right. but he doesn't know. We even know each other. <laughs> so he, he honestly thought that we'd somehow just randomly come to see him after years of not seeing him at the same time. <laughs> so it was, it just went, you know, his mind exploded. Oh my um, gosh. So that basically, we just hung out at his house and within like an hour, we, we'd formed a band. And then Jim moved down to Nottingham. And then eventually Doug, who, who was living with Jim in Bradford, he moved down to Nottingham. And that, that, was, that was Iron Monkey. That's how it came about. You know? So Iron Monkey was like ours. You know? yeah. It really felt like it was kind of meant to be. It was very just fortuitous. It wasn't planned. Yeah. It was friends, you know. And then your friend just thought you guys just showed up at his door at the same time. So it had to be. It was meant to be. Yeah, he can he can he can work out what's going on, man. He's, he, he's, he, we knocked him for a Fruit Loop. I tell you, that's awesome. I think that's one of my favorite stories I've heard on this podcast. I love that. Yeah, no, honestly, it's the God's honest truth. No word of a lie. That yeah. is awesome. I mean, we don't we don't see each other anymore now, but I, I heard him uh, an interview with him not so long ago, and he told exactly the same story. And I was just like, oh, good man, you know. <laughs> so I heard yeah. you guys had a pretty interesting reputation 
People thought you guys formed in prison. Yeah, well, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell did that get started? I have no idea. I really don't. I think the first I really heard that was a band called Germ Flux. Uh, they were like some southern state band. They were like kind of in with maybe Buzz Oven and I at God and those bands. So they used to send, they sent, I think it might have been Johnny actually. I think they sent one of one of the guys uh, a rehearsal tape. And on the end of the rehearsal tape, they would send us messages, you know, give oh. us a shout out at the end. Okay. And we're like, and at the end of one of them, they was going, oh, any band that can, any guys that can go into jail and come out and be in a band, goddamn, that's hell of a man. <laughs> you know, it's going, they've got to come, come down to Guinea and smoke this oyster dope we've got, you know, <laughs> dredged up from the ocean by scallop junkies. <laughs> So anyway, we just thought this was hilarious, you know, and we ended up actually putting a book, like they were talking like this and we've actually stuck it on the end of one of the albums. It's, it's oh, pretty funny. That's awesome. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there was loads of, there's loads of rumors, you know, I think what it was in all seriousness was we weren't honestly, genuinely were not bothered about making friends or being popular or anything. It was one of those bands and um, when you look back on it, yeah, I mean, very, I'm very fortunate to have been in a very genuine band like that, yeah. but it was shit at the time, you know? Yeah. It was, we, went, we went through absolute hell with that band. Yeah. But we had the best laugh at the same time. It was never, never anything in the middle. It was always extremely good and extremely bad. Oh, wow. Um, so a band like that's never going to last, you know? So we were always destined to... To, to split up at some point it was just like i appreciated the time that we did have you know but yeah i mean <laughs> i think it was because that say for instance when we when we traveled to london for a show bands are always getting ripped off you know yeah and we'd play i can think of examples you know we'd play one show at the, at the marquee club and the promoter basically ripped us off 50 pounds right right and 50 pounds is not much but that was our petrol home yeah that was like we couldn't even we couldn't even buy a fucking pasty from the service station, you know. Man. And it was like we'd gone all the way down there, and people came to the show to see Iron Monkey, and this guy's like shortchanging us, so we can't even fucking drive home. We had no money to put in the petrol tank, right? So what do we do? We start smashing shit up, don't we? Of course you do. Yeah. Right. Because we're we're, we're really pissed off. Get your money's worth. Yeah, yeah, and I think Johnny tried to throw a like a breeze block through the marquee window, but <laughs> he, um, he did. And you know what? We, we were over the road in the van watching him, and he picks up this heavy thing, and he's like, Aah! "Right, the marquee that must have seen him on the security camera, and the metal shutters just came down really slowly like this. And by the time he shuffled across the road with his brick, the thing had shot, and he just sort of dropped him and went, oh. <laughs> That brick was going through the window. Oh, know. my gosh. Yeah, we, we got into fights and stuff, you know. Johnny pulled some lighting rig down at a biker's club, and <laughs> the bikers were after him for a while. And Oh, my gosh. We, uh, he smashed a guy on the head with a monitor, but not accidentally. Okay. <laughs> the guy, the, there was this one show in, in Brighton, and uh, the backstage was the kitchen of the pub. Johnny, we, we found this big catering-sized bag of flour in the kitchen. And Johnny said, for some reason, he said, second riff of the second song, 
that flower was going in the fan. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and we were just like laughing. Alpha was going, yeah, yeah, good idea, right? Yeah. Anyway, the way we used to go on stage, we used to play like a long intro before Johnny ever, ever came out on stage. Okay. So we were there playing the intro. It just comes straight out, didn't wait for the second song with this bag of flower. <laughs> straight into the fan. <laughs> The whole place turns white with flour. <laughs> yeah, good, good start. And anyway, people started throwing beer and water, and and you just turns to dough. Oh, right? good. so it's all slippery and everything, you know. And there's glass everywhere. Anyway, Johnny was um, wrestling about with this guy, and this this guy was like the way Johnny was. It was really full on on stage, and I think some people thought they could take him on because it was a bit of a challenge. Oh, okay. So this one, he was a fucking idiot. This one guy thought, oh, I'm going to take him on, you know, and he was wrestling with him and that. But he wrestled him, and Johnny had the monitor in his hand. I don't know why. He just had the monitor in his hand. <laughs> anyway, oh slipped, monitor came down, and basically crushed this guy's head. Oh, my um, God. He's, oh yeah, of course, he survived, but then he started a real fight then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the show came to a halt because his friends started fighting with Johnny. Drums went to one side, guitars came off, the band started fighting the crowd. Oh, my right. God. The, the, the show ended, and we got banned from Brighton, and Johnny got arrested. The entire town? Uh, the council the... banned us from playing in Brighton. Wow. Um, and, and I had to go and get Johnny from the police station a few days later. Oh, um, my God. The, the charges got dropped because the guy basically who got hurt, he said that he was just some random guy on the street and he didn't know the band. And he went to check us out and Johnny singled him out and attacked him. That was his story. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So the, 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 the police were like, this guy's a joke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we got let off and it was okay. But sorry for the long story, but no, that, no. it's things like that, right? That gave us a reputation, but we didn't do anything for that. Right. You no, know? it, it wasn't. It just kind of <laughs> happened. Not, it's just. Yeah. You know, I mean, we used to play with bands like One Minute Science and they used to go to in Kerrang magazine and say, oh, we, we're going to start a riot, you know, smash the place up, motherfuckers. Right. Like. When, but then when somebody like us came along and shit like that just happened yeah. and we didn't mean it, yeah. right? People, but pe people are genuinely frightened of it. So that's why Iron Monkey had a name, but we still never got big or famous or anything like that yeah. because I think promoters wouldn't put us on. Yeah. Magazines used to give you this, oh, the world's toughest band and bullshit. You know, yeah. It's all bullshit. You know, the but fact is that it gave us a reputation that we couldn't fucking get a gig. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Kind of, it backfires, unfortunately. And, and you're not yeah. even promoting that kind of reputation. That it's just stuff no, that's no, happening. No, no, just, yeah. Yeah. Because it, I, I guess that we weren't really that bothered about like how it affects us. Yeah. I mean, that, that one, that one time where we, we smashed the place up because we were shortchanged. There was a, like a, a, some kind of shitty band called one minute silence from London that were playing. And that, yeah. that's, they were big in Kerrang. They were big for a while. Their singer was calling us up at home afterwards, saying, "You've got to tell us, tell tell the guy it wasn't us. It wasn't us. You got like this is our career, man. That's the difference, you know." Yeah. Then you ended up, you, you played with Electric Wizard, which is mm -hmm. really cool. Uh, Teeth of Lions. That. <laughs> 
Holy crow. It's not an easy listen, that is it? That was something else. And I didn't know about that until a few days ago, and I started listening to it. I, I played horrible, the... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so different. I mean, it, it's... Okay, so you have to answer this question for me. The first song, <laughs> Feel Bad Hint of the Winter... Yeah. Is that are you just intentionally poking Queens of the Stone Age with that or Yes. <laughs> Greg, he's he's friendly with that kind of group of people. Okay. Um, in fact, it was around that time when we were doing Teeth of Lions, Goat Snake were on tour with Queens of Stone Age. I remember being at one of their shows, obviously because of Greg, and uh, there was a lot of jabbing going on. And of course, I kind of knew those the Queens of Stone Age because Iron Monkey played the first ever Queens of Stone Age show in England. Oh, really? Yeah, little known fact. I didn't know that. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, at the garage when there were three piece with uh, was it Armano playing drums? Uh, I gosh, I don't, rem- anyway, I don't remember. Anyway, it was it was it was Josh and Nick and, Josh and, and, Nick and the yeah. drummer. Anyway, that aside, so yeah, so I think that that feel bad hit of the winter that was a little little jab from probably I can't remember who came up with it. It was either Steve or Greg, but it was on there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, and I'm listening because I'm listening at work with the headphones on, and I'm listening, and the, this song—it's really interesting because it takes a while to develop, quite a while. Yeah, we made it up as we went along. Really? Yeah. Oh, it wow. was, it was, well, we, we had some ideas for riffs. Yeah. Um, and they were kind of proto Sun riffs, and in fact, I think a couple of those riffs ended up on the Sun album. Because I, oh, okay. I, I was going to ask you. Well, they were already doing Sun, but I don't think Sun had done much. I think they'd released their demo when their first album was almost done or something. I can't okay. remember. It was about that time. It was 2000 anyway. Cause, yeah, because it definitely has a Sun vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we but we recorded that live in the smallest room. I mean, it was a, no bigger than what I'm saying now. You know? Oh, my God. Um, it was like a really small rehearsal room with mic set up. And we had the biggest wall of amps and <laughs> I kid you not, I was playing the drums at one end of the room, right? Yeah. Trying to sort of shield it a little bit. I could feel the air moving when the guitars were playing because it was very oppressively loud. Wow. You don't get that. You don't capture it on the, on the album, unfortunately, but you could never do that. Yeah. You, you had to be in the room. So we had some wow. ideas for riffs. Or Steve had the ideas for riffs. And uh, I wanted to do the Killdozer cover, and we sort of said, okay, let's do these things. And then we, we didn't have any kind of arrangements or anything like that, so we basically improvised the rest. That's amazing. Uh, and we didn't go back and redo anything. It was just, however it came out, the first improvisation is what it is. Wow. So it's, like- it's, a, little bit, it's a little bit janky in places and everything, but whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean... That's why we didn't do a second. We've no, never done a second album because it's been discussed in the past. You know, we've, it's been mentioned, 
but everybody says in the, in, in the end nobody really picks it up because it's like how do you re, how do you do something else yeah and we never because that album is a product of a situation uh, like an actual uh, coming together at that time yeah and it was so spontaneous you can't do it again no it wouldn't be as genuine if, if you did it no, exactly. even if you did the same thing it just wouldn't everybody's in a different place at this point yeah exactly exactly yeah it's a product of its time uh, but it, i think it was ahead of its time but I, I do appreciate it's not an easy album to listen to so but it you know it's it is an amazing listen though it's really wild stuff yeah, you have to really d- detach from reality. For yeah, that album. <laughs> which which didn't work so well when I was at work. So, <laughs> but classic, you know, yeah. it, it was okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was funny though because at the same time I was I did that album, I was playing in the Verrucas and I was still doing. I think I had to swallow just finished, but we were doing Armor of God, okay, which yeah. was Jim and Johnny and myself and my monkey. But it was like a hardcore band, fast yeah. stuff. Everything else was going faster, and I did the T Lions thing. Like, it's a very strange time, actually. Yeah, everything's going faster except for this one thing you're doing that is just sludge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the sludgiest sludge (laughs) I've ever heard. Sludge disaster. There you go. That's a whole new genre, right there. It's a a doom disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) So, how did Cripple Black Phoenix get? started because that's a huge it's worlds mm-hmm. apart from iron monkey and, and even teeth of lions i mean it's just completely mm. different i guess it's just because like yeah i mean i love this kind of music that i played with those bands you know yeah doom sludge hardcore punk grind whatever love it but that's just a small fraction of what i'm into and what i listen to so uh i mean one of my favorite kinds of music is like that kind of old amphetamine reptile kind of you know the noise rock stuff yeah my favorite my favorite band i think in our world is like god bullies you know another favorite band is no means no yes you know? so that was weird my favorite band is no means no yes <laughs> <laughs> very good i'll see what you did there <laughs> uh, so i think what it was when when i got to a point i think it was probably electric wizard disillusioned me quite a bit about the whole scene oh really yeah that wasn't i mean yeah great band i was into electric wizard before and we played some shows together yeah with our monkey and that but that whole experience just put me off playing in a band wow because of the the, the utter shitty behavior that went on really you know? but yeah i mean i'm not one to go into details i'm not going to talk about yeah. i'm not going to talk shit about people when they've got they can't, they're not here to reply, you know? Exactly, um, exactly. That put me off playing, like doing stuff that other people want to do. Okay. I think I'd always had my kind of, I'd like to do more, but I can't within the, the confines of this certain band or whatever. Like, I'm never going to be able to do a No Means No cover version with 
Electric Wizard or Iron or Monkey. Or Monkey, yeah. So I just decided I'm just going to do my own thing, but I had a big, I had a bit, bit of a break. I did some Cripple Black Phoenix demos while I was still in Electric Wizard and then just forgot about it. <laughs> and then I had a bit of a rough time personally for a couple of years and then picked up a friend's acoustic guitar and just started writing my own things. Wow. And then I knew Jeff Barrow from Portishead that I'd met a Electric Wizard show one time and I kept in touch with him and he I'd also known Dominic you know you know the band Mogwai oh yeah 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 I love so Mogwai one of my best friends in the music my whole music career was was Dominic oh wow and I'd, I'd met him years before when I was still doing Iron Monkey and um, it was I was actually on a job I was crewing for Manic Street Preachers <laughs> wow and Mogwai was supporting them. It was what their first big tour. Oh, cool. Um, and I didn't know Mogwai at that point, but me and the bass player from my monkey, Doug, we were packing the, the gig afterwards and I got a tap on my shoulder and it was Dominic and John from Mogwai. And they were like, are you using Iron Monkey? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was just like, who wants to know? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. said, we love your band. We do, we, we do a DJ slot at this club and we play Iron Monkey all the time. So... We got friends with with Mogwai, you know, wow. and that was 90, 97, maybe, nine, nine, around that time. So when it comes to Cripple by Phoenix, Dominic used to come down and visit, you know, I used to go up and visit him, you know, so he was just randomly staying at my house and we were sat there and was watching the, the Eurovision Song Contest and we were just jamming, you know, and I was playing him some demos that I did previously and we were jamming on to them and then got talking to Jeff one day and I was like, oh yeah, I've been jamming with Dominic. And he was like, oh, you got to come down to Bristol and, and do some recording. I was like, yeah, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Anyway, one thing led to another and I went down there and they said, okay, um, no money. You can come and use the studio, but we'll put your album out on the Invader. Wow. So we didn't have to pay for the recording because it was on Jeff's label. It was Jeff's studio. That's awesome. So the first Cooper Black Phoenix album, there was no band. <laughs> The band wow. was the band basically on, on the first album. It was friends of Jeff who came to help me make an album, and that's how I met the guys in the band at that point. Oh, Apart wow. From Dominic, obviously. Dominic and Costas I knew separately, but so that was, yeah. Fat Paul, he he said, "Well, we should play some gigs." And again, he was one of those. Nah, I don't know. Oh no, play some gigs. Oh, okay then. <laughs> and then that's when, that's when the, it became more of a band. But it was wow. it was never a band really. It was like people coming to help out when they can, you know, and things like that. It was it's, it's been a weird beast for many years until I think until like Ellen Geist, like literally the last couple of years, and it has become a band now. There's five of us. Wow, and that's it. Yeah, it, it, I've noticed there's been a lot of turnaround in the band. And actually, one of the the band members I thought was really interesting was Chris Heilman. 
Oh yeah, Shark Island. Yeah, I love Shark Island. Bill and Ted. Right? Yes, I've. So I bet you're thinking, Chris Hellman, Shark Island CBP. How the fuck does that work? Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> how did you end up meeting? Yeah. I mean, it's just it was just weird. No, I mean, I, I knew him as a friend before he was in in the band, and. Uh, I knew him through Carl DeMarta, who was also a friend of mine that I used to work with at Plastic Head Records. Okay. Uh, at some point, you know, because I used I used to jam with with Chris and uh, Carl in Carl's kind of blues country covered versions band. Oh. And we used to we used to do gigs locally for money, you know. Okay. It was like a piece kind of rock and blues country thing. So I was playing with those guys, and then it came around where, for whatever reason. CBP, we got um, some shows booked, like a European tour and, and a couple of other bits. Uh, I think we actually went to Canada as well. We didn't have the guitarist or bass player at that point. <laughs> so it was like, oh, well, I'm playing with Chris and Carl in Carl's band. I'll ask those guys because I'm already playing with them, you know? So right. I, know them, I know them as musicians. So that's how they, they came to play in CBP, but then... We did one show and Chris couldn't go out of the country because of his visa or something. Okay. So it was a little bit later when Chris actually did more with CBP. But they they weren't songwriters, you know. It's like I say, it's, it's, it's a weird beast, basically. Yeah. Everybody is is like, they came and they played kind of thing. They played their parts, you know, not taking anything right, away from, right. from what people did. But um, no, I mean, Chris, he was a funny guy. You know? he's, he's, he's a cool guy. It was a shame that he kind of... He went off because Carl tried to steal the band name and things like that. It was pretty, I heard that, yeah. It was pretty bad for a while. I don't want to go into it, but no. I mean, the guy, the guy registered the trademark behind my back and still played it within the band for two years without telling me. And Oh, my God. And, and tried, tried, to, tried to sabotage the whole band. And <laughs> for, for whatever reason, Chris decided to, to go with Carl and do, do oh, that. Oh, man. So it was a real shame because, you know... I, Right up until then, I had no problem with the guy. Yeah, uh, I hate you know, hearing stories like that. I've not, I've not spoken to him since or anything. I mean, Carl, on the other hand, you know, I'll knock the fucker out if I see him. But yeah. Chris, I've got no problem with. You know, well, the first time I actually heard Cripple Black Phoenix was the song you did with David Eugene Edwards on the Jeffrey mm -hmm. Pierce. I love David Eugene Edwards. I am obsessed by his work. And so any anything that he's involved in, I I have to get. So yeah, all right. So I found that We Are Only Riders album. And like David Eugene Edwards, I don't care what he's doing or who he's playing with. I I've got to get it and I've got to hear it. And so I heard uh, Like a Mexican Love, and I'm like, who is Cripple Black Phoenix? This is awesome. And you do another song on that. And those two. Yeah, but it's not like that one. No, no, it's not. Watching from the cement grass, scared to walk straight. She evades you straight through town. And she beats upon your paper face This must be some kind of Mexican love And I'm glued it's, to you It's just... Well, just like, like we were saying earlier, the association with an artist that I loved got me to you guys. 
And so right, I, yeah. I listened and I'm like, I'm, all right, I got to check this out. And I Vigilante was the latest release at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I picked that up and that album just blew me away. It was wow. so amazing. And to hear, to find out, you know, that you're in Iron Monkey and, and some other really hardcore bands to go from that to a more Pink Floyd sounding band is, it just kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I don't know why I it, I had a hard time reconciling the fact that you can do those kind of you can make those kind of switches, I, but I just I just I just, I just thought that um, it just with Cripple by Phoenix was always a disappointment for people who listen to it because they were expecting another Eye Monkey or Electric Wizard or whatever. Wow, that's that's the kind of the feeling that I always had with with Cripple by Phoenix. That's I always amazing. thought, and and the thing is that the press picked up on like in the early days of. CBP that picked up on the fact that Jeff Barrow, it was his label. He also played drums with us for a couple of gigs. Yeah. Um, so he'd been on stage with us and Dominic from Mogwai was in the band. And it was this Mogwai, Portishead, Electric Wizard, super, super group. Uh, and it, it, it was never, ever that at right. all. It was never that. And the music, musically, it's nothing like any of those bands, really. That's you know? for sure. So I I always thought that uh, it was a disappointment for everyone, and that's that's why we didn't get that much attention and stuff. I think people came and sniffed around us, and then went, "Oh, this is what I thought it was going to be," and then moved on. Oh, see that that's interesting because for me, I I wasn't aware of the other bands really. I mean, I was aware of Mogwai, you know, I knew Mogwai, but and I knew who Electric Wizard was, but I wasn't really into them at that point. And so for me, it was just I was just hearing this amazingly awesome psychedelic type of rock band that oh, was that's nice it's nice that you say psychedelic it's what one thing that people n- never really mentioned but I, I i truly believe that it's like in, in in a lot of respects it's psychedelic it's just not the cliche exactly psychedelic. yeah it's not this big space jam aim that's aimless and pointless and i mean every it sounds to me like everything that cripple black phoenix does has a purpose yeah, it's the same way that if people call us a, pro- a prog band, we're not a prog band, right? But we're in the spirit of progressive rock. If you think about like between nine sixty nine and seventy four, the progressive rock bands they didn't fit into a box and sound all the same. They were just experimenting, doing whatever they wanted. For me, that's progressive rock. Right. It's become the label prog rock, and people are la- make the lazy kind of connection and the assumption prog rock band or do you sound like Marillion or something you know it's like we're we're just not we're not a prog rock band but we are progressive rock but we're also a punk band you know there's so many different things going on in it so because because it's all in the spirit it's all in the spirit and it's all out of respect you know because my connection with progressive bands is the same connection I have with punk bands to me they're like the same because they do what they like. Yes. They have no limitations in the same way. You know, so people like, oh, punk and progressive, it's like the opposite. It's like, no, man, it's like the same fucking thing. They're There's not- people that like, they're not afraid to experiment. They're not afraid to stick the neck out and do something different. Yes. They're not confined by whatever genre people give them. No. So we're not Pink Floyd, we're Punk Floyd. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't really hear musically the influence. I mean, obviously, you hear some influences, but you wouldn't hear a lot of punk 
sounds, but if you if you know the history, you will you will hear it. You, you will hear the punk, punk in there. Yeah, you know? you, especially on the new. We've just recorded a new album. It's oh. mastered and ready to go. So that's wow. that is gonna is uh, production wise is punk as fuck. Oh, awesome! <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the nice chocolatey chocolatey warm cozy. <laughs> nice sounding album you know it's the same cbp right right so you've, you've got the rock you've got the light and dark and the quiet bits and the psychedelic you've got all that but the the way that it's presented is like yeah it's just it's raw it's like a live it's like a live recording oh wow it's not overproduced or anything like oh, that it's just awesome. super super honest awesome you know? how does the songwriting work within cripple black phoenix are you doing music are you doing lyrics or everybody bringing in bits and pieces and you're piecing it together well belinda and joel write the the lyrics okay I've, I've i've never i mean i have written lyrics for cripple black phoenix before but nowadays i i don't do that because I, I believe that whoever's singing it has to write it because it's got to come from their their soul makes sense but what i will do is give them the song title oh, okay i will tell them what i'm thinking or what i'm feeling about a certain song that's the only involvement I have with the lyrics. Apart from, there's a few song titles now that Belinda has, has named, but because I think because obviously we have a more of a connection when she when she comes up with a song title, it makes sense to me. So because it's not, a, you, you understand, it's not an ego thing that I want to give all the songs their titles. Okay, it's just I have the idea and the theme and everything else, you know. So okay, so um, that that makes a lot more sense to me. As since if you're not writing lyrics, how there's certain themes that keep coming back specifically world war two. Yeah. I mean, you've got, yeah. you know, Bastogne blues operation mincemeat and you do a cover of uh, burning bridges. Lilo Sifri wrote the song, but Mike Kerb recorded it for yeah. the Kelly's Hero song. Exactly, yeah. and that's that's what where the for me the, 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 I realized the connection was at the end of, uh, of Kelly's Heroes. Yeah, it's the Kelly's Heroes, the seventies heist film, but yeah. in World War Two. <laughs> yes, I haven't seen that movie in ages, but oh, it's a it's a great yeah, movie. You got to go back and revisit it. It's a classic. It is. Um, I, what's your what's yeah, your connection the, with World War Two? I mean, I just find it fascinating, of, of course. You know, I think it comes from my childhood and my, my granddad. You know, he told me a lot of some stories that he didn't tell anybody else when uh, he was serving and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I find that there's very interesting stories to be had in, in time of conflict. You know, um, there's some very, very interesting characters and things that happen that people don't know about yeah. uh, that really deserve to have a light shone, shone on it, you know. So yeah, I mean it is. It's it's a reoccurring topic, but it appeals to the kind of CBP thing, you know. The like you said, the guys write the lyrics, but we all have to be on the same page. And this is one of the things that I think the the original singer Joe, I understand why he left because he didn't want to be told what to sing about. 
Ah, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I was I was controlling him too much for his liking, which I understand. Okay. I hundred percent understand. I have no problem with that. It's just that the, this CBP became just my thing that I wanted to do, you know. And it's great if people come along for the ride, but nothing happens in this band for the sake of it. So just a little tiny example is like, okay, the problems I had with Carl, he believed that he should have his songs that he wrote on an album just because he's the guitarist in the band. So I listened to his songs and I hated every one of them. <laughs> Truly and honestly, I'm not saying they were bad. I'm saying I hated them. Right. <laughs> not my style. Yeah. Not, and they weren't CBP style. So they didn't go on the album. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, fuck you, Greaves, you know, yeah. and all this, because I'm the bad guy, obviously. Of so course. anyway, so I understand that. So I think now, genuinely, with, with Joel and Belinda, we do have the connection, so I don't have to dictate so much. But you were asking about the songwriting and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's got to the point now, because basically I've written the music to every single CBP song. Right, um, and I make the demos, and I'm quite involved with the demos. I'll, I'll play parts that become piano parts or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody who plays on the albums or plays in CVP, they do it their way, and they bring the, uh, they sprinkle the magic dust and make it what it is. It's right. amazing. I, I'm very lucky to have some very talented friends, you know, oh, um, yeah. and I wouldn't wouldn't be able to do this without any of them, you know. But I think people have left the songwriting alone, but just because over time it's just that's what I do. Okay. Okay. And that's it. And it's as simple as that. It's not the Justin Greaves band. You know, right. I never wanted to be I never wanted to be a solo artist. I was always the drummer in the band. But I keep writing songs and writing songs and writing songs and no one else gets a sniffing. So I mean <laughs> <laughs> So why don't you play drums with Cripple Black Phoenix? Why if I, I, I record the drums. Okay, but you on tour, I mean you you're playing the guitar. I'm a pretty shit drummer these days. Oh. I'm, not like a, I'm not like I used to be. Well, I I'm appreciate the honesty. Well, to be fair, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you can get away with a lot more on guitar than you do drums. <laughs> That's a good point. I think, well, truth of it is that I haven't played drums since uh, Electric Wizard live. Oh, wow. And the longer I leave it, the more kind of out of practice I am. I mean, I know I'd get back into it, but I also had like a, a TIA, which is like a mini stroke. Yeah. I, so I can feel the difference now, you know, and I mean, I, I read, like I say, I record the drums, yeah. all, all the CBP albums. I'm happy having my, my drumming on the albums, you know? Okay. And I think in some way, because, because I'm quite precious over my music, mm -hmm. when I play guitar, it feels like, okay i'm taking care of it more okay it would feel weird it would feel weird if i've written a song either on the guitar or on the piano or, or whatever and then when we go out and play it I'm, I'm playing the drums for it of course i'd enjoy playing the drums but it it would feel a bit weird it just feel I, weird I that don't makes sense that makes sense though I think if like if somebody invited me to play drums in their band just for a for a giggle and we went on tour i'd love playing drums on tour again you yeah know? Um, but it would it'd have to be someone else's band, I think. Okay, okay. But you do yeah. play a, a, an interesting amount of instruments. I mean, there's, there's electric and acoustic guitars, bass, drums, keyboards, banjo, the saw. The saw, I love At, playing the saw. Yeah. I've seen, so I've seen two instances of that. Once, one with Nick Cave and Debbie Harry. 
Oh, yeah, I'm not from Kabbalah. <laughs> and then I saw you and some other dude in the woods playing banjo oh, yeah. and saw. Yeah, that's, um, that's David. He does this, uh, his solo band thing is called The Devil's Trade. you know it was uh, which what tour was that i think that was when we played a uh, publicist uk toured with us oh, wow. and, um and he was on that tour and yeah i mean of course you know that... any chance any chance we got we'd sit down and he'd play the banjo and i'd play the saw and yeah that video is we, awesome um, but that was just like we, we was playing a, a venue um something like versberg or something in Germany, but it was in the kind of the, the Black Forest yeah. area. Anyway, there was lots of woods, and <laughs> we, just, we went for a walk, and uh, yeah, just found a good spot, so we just grabbed, grabbed the banjo and the saw, and just like, oh, let's just do this little thing, you know? Is that the only thing you guys have recorded together, that, that little video? Yeah, oh, uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he actually, he joined us on stage to sing a cover version of Joe Walsh's uh, Turn to Stone. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, we did that together, and he also sang on there. Uh, we did uh, we did a tribute to um, that band VHK, the Hungarian kind of tribal punk band. Oh wow! And um, we did Honok Shitaya, which is like Battle of the Huns. Um, oh, and man. him and another guy, they came, they did the recording with us, and they sung the the, the song as it should be in Hungarian. Wow. Amazing covers. You, you get the stuff like that and Burning Bridges. Actually, sometimes I'm a little confused as to which one's considered an album and which one's an EP because they're all long. Maze, it makes no difference to me. <laughs> Everyone says, "Oh, it's, it's a bit long for an EP." Or you know, I was a bit like, and it's like, yeah, but come on, it's just what it is. It's, it's a fucking record. Yeah, <laughs> it's an album of whatever. But it's you, whatever, whatever. So you've done. The Hungarian stuff you've done, we've made Burning Bridges, Everything I Say by Vic Chestnut, uh, She's in uh, Parties, Bauhaus, Physical uh, by Adam Ant, and then... Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that's an old one, yeah. My favorite is uh, The Golden Boy That Was Swallowed by the Sea oh. by Swans.
time that we did. Ah. I love playing. In fact, I'm working. I'm working on. Um, I got hold of the the live recording from the two Roadburn uh, gigs that we played. Oh, cool! Uh, and the last one is when we played. Not only did we play Golden Boy, we also played the entire 40 minute version of Echoes. Oh man! Okay, so I did see the uh, on Yeah. band you know i'd say we're socially aware yeah um we, we talk about things that people don't like to talk about we talk about more than just music oh yeah like um, the song lost yeah lost and, and nebulas and you know that we we i mean obviously we're animal rights sort of you know i'm quite yeah. an activist in that and it's we just speak for the voiceless you yeah. know just raise awareness it's not political or anything it's like you can choose what you're like we're not telling people what to eat or how to live their lives yeah that, people don't like it, you know, but whatever. I, I love hearing everybody's opinions who comes on the show. I, if, whether I agree with it, disagree with it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, you don't have to, but I, you do I not want have to agree it. with it at all. Nope. Yeah, you don't have to agree with it at all. In fact, some of the best conversations I've, I've had with fans are with people who don't agree with us. Yeah. But, and and, and we've become quite close as a result, you know. As long as you're not like hurting anyone or hurting, you know, other people or the things, or you're not oppressive or anything like that, then I've always got time for people. I respect people's way of life, you know? As long as you're willing to hear my side and I'm willing to hear your side, we don't have to agree and still, we can yeah. still be friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, that's the only way you're going to learn anything. Exactly. That's fortunately, that's one good thing about getting older is that I've, I've learned, I don't know anything. So I'm willing to listen to everybody at this point. Yeah, you, honestly, I mean, you, they say that you you know older and wiser, but no, you you're older, and the only th only thing you get wiser about is that you know that you don't know stuff. Yep. You accept the fact that you don't know what you think you did. Exactly. You know? And like I say, you become old and you become lazy and you <laughs> stop giving a shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In fact, the only thing I am sure about is that I think even the stuff I knew, I don't know anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, things change and everything. And I mean, I'm kind of like half jesting. Of course, we care about things, right. you know. But I think you care less about the trivial things, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, you sure. care less about what people think about you, or you care less about like impressing people or making so many friends and everything like that, you know. Yeah. Those kind of very kind of shallow things, you, you stop caring about those and your life becomes more meaningful, I guess. It becomes more focused on the things that you do enjoy or the things that you do. I don't, I make no secret of like, I ride bikes and I build bikes and I race as well. Yeah. It's a big part of my life now, you know? And, you know, basically 50 year old man that's I'm throwing myself down mountains and hills on bikes <laughs> and breaking my leg and things like that. And, but you used to do that when you were a kid. You used, you raced BMXs as a kid, right? 
Yeah, OG BMX abs. Yeah. yeah, started started racing in 1981. Wow. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. OG. What, what were you, what were you riding back then? Uh, well, I started on a rally burner, but um, I did most of my racing on Skyway TA frame. Oh, cool. Uh, I raced, uh, I had a Diamondback for a short while, and I raced with a team called Mark White, who was the local guy. Won a couple of trophies, you know, just nationals and regionals. Um, nothing international, though. And I raced until the 90s, and then I got myself a, a, a GT performer which was kind of like the original kind of street freestyle bike. Yeah, I remember those. Um, yeah, I wish I still had it. It was great. <laughs> and then I did a few freestyle competitions, like mini ramp and things. Nice. Then I just ended up riding street with my friends for a while, and then I ended up actually selling that bike to Johnny, the singer in Eye Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, because you know, you know Johnny died, so yeah. I don't know what happened to all that stuff. Um, um, but uh, yeah, bikes have always been a massive part. But the music took me down a path in my life and took over. And I neglected bikes for too long. And I think about 10 years ago, I got really heavily back into it. And now I race gravity bikes, which is super sketchy stuff. So gravity bikes is like it's on tarmac. It's down very steep hills, <laughs> twisty hills. There is like on 20 inch rims and everything, modified kind of frames. Oh, wow. Um, there's no drive chain, no crank or anything. It's all gravity powered. But we got 50, 60 miles an hour out of them. That's amazing. That's like the top speed you can get on a small road. The world record is like, I don't know, top, high 80s, I think it is. Wow. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's full race leathers, you know? It's oh. like you don't want to. The, the thing with it is that it's because um, it's so fast when you crash you don't stop crashing and, and because of the firm, because it's on like open roads well we close the roads but they're highways you know? yeah yeah uh, the, there's a lot of furniture like trees and gates and but you know things like that so oh my god um, so it's quite high consequence you know yeah um, god jeez yeah. I, I, I'm going to have to check that out I'm going to see this. Um, actually my my own Instagram thing is got a lot of my gravity bike stuff on it oh i'll have to check that out i'm not sure if i'm uh, followed your instagram yeah. or not i have to check that out yeah i don't I don't make like i don't publicize or anything it's just got it's got everything on there you know because i'm like it's like music and but it's bikes but it's art oh, as well cool. everything that i do so it's a bit i don't draw too much attention to it or anything i don't tag myself in because people are into my music might not be into bikes yeah. and people are into the bikes might not like the art well, so after this podcast, it's just there, you know, it's just there to share with my friends, really, you know. After this podcast, you might get up towards of like three more followers. Oh, nice. So, nice. <laughs> well, me being one of them. Smart. <laughs> but we can, you know, you can keep up with stuff. It's quite cool, actually, because I am quite proud of the, the gravity. I mean, I, I'm like twice uh, national champion. Oh, wow. One of the years, it was just, I, I just, I was ahead in points. We didn't run the championship. One year, when the championship was running, I, I won the championship. Uh, you know, a lot of races, trophies and so on. So oh, that's, I'm quite proud of that because I, I'm one of the oldest, you know. So that's I'm not afraid to say that I am quite proud of that. That's great. Yeah. I, you've just really intrigued me. I got to check this out because that sounds like it's a <laughs> lot of fun. There's one good video on there where it's like I got like a, uh, like a selfie stick and put the GoPro up, uh, oh. in front of me on the bike. So yeah. it's quite a cool, cool oh, angle. That, you... that is awesome. I got to check that out. Yeah, you'll, see, you'll see like 
cat and no, I'm, i do mountain biking as well so there's a bit of mountain biking on there oh, to, and then there's the, mu- there's the music and things as well of course so you uh you mentioned art and you yeah. you have some amazing art in your albums i absolutely i visual guy myself that's one of the things i've always enjoyed about the albums is the artwork it's not always the same it's not it doesn't always look like it's by the same person or there's necessarily a uh Everyone, everyone is is extremely different. Like uh, I Vigilante is uh, a lot different from, say, A Love of Shared Disasters or um, mm-hmm. Night Raider, Mankind, The Crafty Ape. You know, they're all very different. It's but that is, but that's the beauty of art, right? Oh, for sure. You know, it can be you can be whatever you want it to be. I, I love it, and, but it's all really awesome art. Like Vigilante is the only one that I did. Oh, really? Uh, uh, all the others done by other people. Yeah, that's very striking. That and um, bronze, I really yeah like the. Oh, uh, I like bronze. In fact, actually, bronze was done by Matthew Dunn, and Matthew Dunn is the the one guy that we've spent the most time working together. So Matthew Dunn came along and did from Crafty Ape until Bronze. Oh, cool! Basically, everything we did between that era was Matthew Dunn. Oh, that, see, and that's awesome because there's. Some of them, it, it looks like it may be done by the same person, like like Crafty Ape and the Poznan album. But, yeah, and No Sadness, White Light. Right, uh, but, they, but they don't necessarily look like they're done by the same artist, which is what I really uh, like uh, about that. They've all got that kind of graphic novel quality to them. But the, uh, For sure. But that's just, you know, I mean, that's how talented the guy is, you know. Yeah. He can do some amazing things. And it wasn't because... Um, fallen out of love with his art i love his art you know and everything he does now he's a great guy great artist yeah i think maybe we just got to the point where like there was a change you know just a change overall you know what i mean you know production slightly different you know yeah. and at some point you, you have to i mean i'm one for moving on i always like to move on and it's not you know i'd like to be loyal as well so it's always quite kind of hard especially with someone like matthew where it's like I would love to stay loyal to the guy and, and use his artwork forever, like I made him do with with Derek oh, Riggs. Derek Riggs, yeah. But I don't want that for the band, you know. Well, at, as at, much as I love it, I want I want I want to do different things. Yeah, <laughs> at some point, you, it's kind of weird because with Derek Riggs and let's let's say Roger Dean with Yes, you know, yeah, yeah. you just start to kind of not not even really pay attention to the art because you know what style it's going to be. Yeah, and yeah. so it. it I don't like, one thing I don't like is being predictable. Exactly, and that was where I was gonna what I was gonna say. It almost becomes predictable. So you're not, you know, Iron Maiden is gonna be some version of Eddie doing something weird, and then with Yes, you know, it's going to be this. But that still, that still plays a role. You know, it's like musically as well. You know, when you listen to the Ramones, that's what you're gonna get. Yeah. The Ramones were still going. Oh, oh, Motorhead. Oh, those great bands are the Dwarves. <laughs> oh, God. <yeah. laughs> you know what you're going to get, and it serves that purpose, and it's great. Yeah. That's, okay, yeah. that's, a, that's a fair point, yeah. So that is all valid. That, that kind of consistency, the Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden album, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. You know pretty much what it's going to sound like. You know what the hour's going to be. But that's what you want. That's what their fans want. True. Right? Which is great, which is fine. It's just not what I do. It's not what CBP does, you know. And nobody's right and nobody's wrong. It's just I'm into I'm into that kind of consistency as well. I like to if I listen to a crusty punk band like Tragedy, that's what I want to hear. I want the next, yeah. you know. In a way, 
I mean, there's, there's, there are the bands that, like, you never know what you're going to get, and that's kind of the appeal. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a different thing, you know? And I think uh, CBP kind of falls somewhere in the middle of that, because yeah, you don't always know... Different. Yeah, <laughs> there's a sound for, for Cripple Black Phoenix, but you can't always say, all right, well, this there's, there's going to be one short song, there's gonna, and then the album's going to end with one long epic, like an Iron Maiden album the thing you can count on with cbp is the songs are gonna be epic each every song is going to develop and that's one of the things i love about it is you give the music the room to just develop on its own i suppose because i don't like to stick to any rules but if i if i set myself any kind of limitations or rules in cbp is that the music is in charge the songs have to do their own thing it's like I'm only just trying to control it. I'm not really without being in charge, you know, <laughs> of course it, it's, it's difficult, but I try not to dictate the way it goes. So, so the way it comes, the way it sounds is just how it comes out. And if there's one thing that I just, what I'd like to achieve at the end of all of this is a catalog of music. That's at least it's honest. I know? And that's all, that's all really is just, and that's what I think with the with the new album that we just recorded. I think that's, um, I mean, who knows what the next album will be? It'll, the next album might be super overproduced, eighties synthesized, you know. <laughs> but this this album is what I'd like to be at the moment, which right. is like, I don't want any trickery. I don't want any easy ways out, you know. Because, like again, I'm not saying there's any rights and wrongs, but I'm not a fan of music that sort of contrives so it's like a you know what i mean when i say a band tunes a certain way and has a certain kind of production value which basically it will blow you away it will sound amazing on first listen but then the the effect is gone yeah i know exactly what you're saying like a like a movie with a twist yeah once you've seen it and that's it the the the, the trick's gone yeah you can only watch sixth sense once yeah so there's a lot of music like that which it will sonically it will be very impressive when you hear it because it'll be different or it'll be super heavy or it'll be weird tuning or something yeah. like that. But it's a sonic trick. But I like to, I like to listen to bands that have got the songs. So as long as you've got the songs, it's great. You can do what you like. But there's a lot of music at the minute, which is like a, a kind of struggle to listen to where you think, oh, that sounds amazing. But, you, but it doesn't end up in your favorite albums because you, it only works once or twice and then you're kind of over it, you know? Yeah. And I think I'm probably kind of rebelling against that a little bit. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I try not to be trying to do anything, but if I'm doing anything, I think I'm re just rebelling against the, the modern trend of, oh, let's make something that will blow people away as soon as they hear it. Yeah. And I kind of don't want, I don't want to, I'm not interested in blowing people away. I just, I just think that it's just a, it's just quick, it's a quick fix. Yeah, no. I know what you're saying. I yeah, don't, I don't mind. I don't mind if people don't get it at first because I'd I'd rather have the longevity. I'd rather just we're swimming along under the surface all this time. You know. Yeah, it's it's like both of us with swans. You know, we didn't get it at first, yeah. and then yeah, then when it hit, it grabbed it and held on and doesn't let go. Yeah, it's like no means no. You yeah. know, it's like they're not the easiest band to get into. But, you know, if you, if you get into it and you like it, you love it and yeah. you treasure it, you know? <laughs> One I the... guess if I want to be anything, it's going to be like that, you know, I suppose. But that, it's just a dream, you know, it's, 
I can't dictate what people feel about what I do, you know? No, so, exactly. So just do what you want to do. Make, make eh, the music the way you want to make it. You know, it's no big fucking secret. Yeah. <laughs> One of the interesting things that I've noticed, well, I noticed it's, um, that's a terrible way to say it. One of the interesting things that, that reoccurs on some CBP albums is the use of audio clips, like Bastone mm -hmm, Blues. Yeah. I was hid behind a big tree that was knocked down or fallen. And I could see these Germans in the woods across this big field. And I saw this young kid crawling up a ditch straight towards my tree. So I let him crawl. I didn't fire at him. But when he got up within three or four foot of me, I screamed at him to surrender. And instead of Are these clips that you have found decided, that are influencing the song, or are you writing the song and then looking for a clip that fits with it? Or is there any process to it, or is it just happenstance? All the samples come after the fact. Okay. Wow. And that is like part of the process. So, you know, we're in the, we're in the studio and it's only in, when we're in the studio where the album starts to make sense to me. So it goes from a bunch of demos that sonically and thematically, they kind of belong on the same album, but I don't know how it all works yet. Okay. Then when we're recording, usually the starting and ending of songs, the dynamics of the album, because I believe in albums need dynamics as well as the songs need dynamics. Yes. The whole sure. album is dynamic. Um, so I compose it more like a film, I guess. Okay. So you have, you just have the different scenes and the different moods and everything else. And you have the, the, you have the dark and you have the comedy and you have the horror and you have the farce, you know? Right. So it's doing that. So I guess the samples are all part of that, you know, okay. and they usually come along, you know, I'll hear a part where I'll think, Oh, that's a sample bit. That is. Okay. And then I will kind of, I will, I will fire off what the song's doing or what the song's about. And then I'll get into, I'll either have an idea, like um, it will be from a film that I love or something like, you know, obviously classics from Rollerball or Mad Max yeah, or, or whatever it is, you know, silent runnings. I've, you know, I've used all these things. They're the sort of things that I go, you know what? I can, I'm thinking of this, great quote from this movie that will sound amazing in this little bit oh cool so, those ones are really easy to do yeah sometimes i come across something where like i have a specific idea of what the sample wants or i need a voice of a certain kind of voice a male female adult child whatever and he needs to be saying something about this topic and then i have to find it oh. and that's and then that gets difficult you yeah know? it's like the uh, the alan watts sample at the start of Great Escape. Every sane society allows a certain number of people to deviate. You don't have to join. You don't have to play the game. A society which is insane and unsure of itself long monologue that alan watts does for the longest time i couldn't find anything for the start of that album i knew exactly what i wanted to say 
and I was almost on the verge of trying to get somebody to do it for me. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. And then I just I happened to find a lecture by Alan Watts. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, Bruce Derning in, in Silent Running. <laughs> He's, uh, he does something really cool that would really fit with this. And then the whole thing snowballs and it became what it is, you know. Oh, that is awesome. But the, on the new album, we do have a friend who has done us a spoken word. And it's incredible. Oh, man. I can't give too much away. Okay. But it's, uh, it's very, very subversive. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it might be a little bit shocking for some people. But really? There you go. Oh, and wow. he's, a very, he's a very fucking cool guy, and he's such a talent. And, I mean, I love him a bit. He's a freak, but the best way, in the best way. Oh, man. He's, he's a very, very interesting guy. Oh, and he's an artist as well. He's an artist. He does loads of different things. Oh, yeah. all right. It's me. <laughs> it's definitely me. I didn't realize I was doing it, but it, secrets out. <laughs> now, you also, you yeah. also do a couple other projects. We we mentioned them at the beginning. You know, Sadalan and World War. Are yeah. those projects that you're continuing to do more with, or are they kind of set aside while the new CBP album is getting uh, prepped? Yeah, I'll never say never. I mean, well, the say the land, never say never. We'll probably do another one one day. Okay. Um, the thing is with say the land is that that was me and Belinda's escapism from, you know, that's basically that started because we wanted to do some music together. We didn't want to bring our relationship in the CBP. Right. So now the CBP is kind of, Sadalan has been engulfed within CBP now. So that makes more sense but, with that little EP that you guys, that single that you had done with Echoes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay. That basically, because it's the same people, and weirdly, the, the World War thing, it's the same people, you know. It's, well, same people, it's me and Belinda. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Yes, we're okay. talking about doing doing a recording and an album and everything. We just wow. re-recorded one of those songs. I can't say too much about that either. <laughs> but it has it has a couple of interesting people on it. And oh, cool! So I think we're going to do more World War because it's so different, you know, from it's, from CBP. It's not like CBP is not going to go in that direction. Right? Yeah, that sounds a lot more like but, Iron Monkey. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it's sort of grungy noise rock mixed with black metal somehow. You know? Yeah. 
but it's just it's another bunch of our influences and this kind of music that we want to make but it doesn't fit into cbp albums right it doesn't fit into the cbp world so we, we will do that separately and i think world war the name i think is gonna be called the uvo instead oh, wow. of world war I think we're changing the name, you know, and the UVO stands for the Universal Vigilante Order. Oh, wow, man. So, so it's pretty hardcore stuff, you know. That's pretty wild. So, all right, so speaking of names, and I'll wrap this up for now. I know you didn't intend to spend your entire afternoon with me, but how did you, how, where did oh, you? I'm all, I'm all right, man. There's, there's no stress today. Oh, good. Where did you come up with the name Cripple Black Phoenix? Uh, well, that that it was actually a lyric from a Nine Monkey song. Ah, okay. Some of those vocals are a little hard to understand. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you definitely need the lyric sheet, and even yeah. then, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> we had we just had a laugh doing uh, Nine Monkey songs. Um, some of them were just done by like we'd just write things down, uh, you know, separately, and then just <laughs> second third. You know what I mean? Um, I can remember doing that with with Jim and and with Johnny as well because we all lived in the same flat, you know. It's like the monkey gram, you know, the pentagram with the monkey's face. Yeah. <laughs> that that basically that was Jim just cutting out monkey faces and putting it in the pentagram, and we were just sat there laughing our heads off, going, <laughs> "Look at that!" <laughs> and then you know, that's that band all together. But um, <laughs> you know, Black Phoenix, the the actual full line was Cripple Black Phoenix never fed. It oh. was a random line. Is a random line in in a song. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Wow. And I just, yeah. I mean, I I didn't write the line. I can't remember who did, to be honest. But I always felt like I was connected with it. I just loved that line. And I did, I did for a short while. I, I I released a couple of CDs on the label. I did at Plastic Head called Black Phoenix. Oh, okay. Look uh, on the Teeth of Lines album. I'm credited instead of my name. It says Cripple Black Phoenix drums. Oh, does it? I didn't notice that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and I think it was after that. It was it was when we we when I was doing the first Cripple Black Phoenix demos. At the same time, when we were talking about maybe doing another Teeth of Lines album, we decided not to do that. And then I basically wanted to come. I took the what my pseudonym from that album. So I was known as Cripple Black Phoenix for playing drums on that album. <laughs> so I took that on and, and gave it to the band that I was going to do, you know? Wow. Oh, that's really cool. That's the story. But yeah. Uh, but the thing is with, with, with Cripple Black Phoenix, the name is like art, you know, life imitating art. The, the name actually makes more sense now. It's come to mean something now. Yeah. You know? It's like the it's like you can look at it as like the death of something immortal, but then again you look at it as like something that never dies, even though, you know, obviously crippled, burnt to chard, but it's the phoenix, it's a phoenix. It always comes back. I think now with the history of the band and the and the, all the bullshit that we've been through and the near endings of the band so many times, it means so much now. Well, that and and you personally, I mean, you know, you, you survived a stroke, pneumonia. A two-day coma, car accidents, friends passing, and here you still are. The music always sounds hopeful and positive. Yeah. I think the the worst the worst things I've been through is when people have tried to steal the band away from me. Well, yeah, that's you know, and that's twice now. It's happened twice. Twice, you know, um, and and uh, they're the, they're the hardest things I've had to go through. So, but we're still here, you know. Yeah, because well, that's you know beyond stroke pneumonia 
those are medical things, car accidents, mm. that, those are accidents. But when somebody betrays, that's a betrayal. And that's... Yeah, I mean, it's the mental health aspect of it as well. Yeah. Because that that really affects you mentally, and it's nothing nothing physical, you know. It physical does. is you know whatever broken bones, whatever it all heals. But mental health is not so good to fix. Yeah, and I, I see music as basically the the bottom line. Really, there's there's two reasons why I do Cripple Black Phoenix. One is that when I want to hear music that doesn't exist, I'll make it myself. That's awesome. That's the fundamental creativity side of it. Secondly is I need to do it because it's my therapy. And if I don't, I'm going to end up jumping off a fucking bridge or something. That's, the, that's just the reality wow. of it. It's, I'm not trying to be like, you know, no sympathy. Don't want to, nothing, nothing, not, you know, yeah. that's why, that's why songs have hope in them. You know, yes, it's miserable music. Sometimes we talk about some pretty dark things. Not one Cripple Black Phoenix album leaves you feeling miserable. I don't think. I know. Because when you feel like that yourself, the last thing you want to do is sing about it and play songs about it, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I like dark music and everything, you know? I find it quite uplifting and everything. So, yeah, that, that's part of Cripple Black Phoenix. But we're not a dark band, you know? It can also be nice cathartic to play it. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I mean... And to hear it. <laughs> I can't be dealing with it. Like, everything has to be dark this and dark that and cult this. And If you're dictating what I got to do, I'm going to go against it anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, unfortunately <laughs> for me, I think I'm just predisposed to be that kind of person. Yeah. And, I, and I, I swear to God, you know, I didn't do well at school because I rebelled. And, I, you know, I've never had like a steady career job because I've wanted to do my own thing all my life, you know? And yeah. But it makes your life shit as well. Yeah. You know, it's not. And I, I kind of wish that I was like a normal person that went and went to college and got a good education and got a good job and got married and had a house and all that kind of stuff and has a good income. And sometimes I wish I was like that because that's, you know, you're secure. Yeah, there's a safety never, in it. I've, yeah, I've never had a secure life. I've yeah. never had that security. But you make amazing um, art. Eh, you know. I think so. I need to do it. That's That's the only thing, you know. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I, I really appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate everybody who likes what I do. Of course I do. Yeah. You know, because it's nice for my ego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's, it's uh, when you have validation that other people maybe think the same, then it really helps mentally. When I have guests like you on it, that of bands that I've been listening to for a long time, I, I just... I, I don't know. I can't be encouraging enough to just continue making more because it means a lot to, to me personally and to a lot of the other fans. So, you know, it's, it's not condescension or I'm not even uh, trying to be a, you know, an overly big fanboy or anything. I'm just, I'm just trying no, I, to encourage the art itself. And you, you know, I can't say how much that like I appreciate it and other people in my position that appreciate people like you as well, you know, Really, honestly, it's because it, it has to go both ways. One can't exist without the other, you know. Exactly. Um, and we've just got to appreciate that, you know. The other thing is that, I mean, now, uh, I mean, I've got to give a shout out to, or, you know, I mean, there's Belinda and there's Helen and there's Andy and there's Joel, you know. We're all sort of part of this now. And after the last kind of round of people using the band for their own gain, you know, mm -hmm. which was quite recently, the whole vibe is kind of 
changed now you know wow. so we've built it so so now you know the whole kind of the the mental game i mean it's still going on a little bit but at the same time i've never felt so secure with the band as i do now you know uh, because of that core group the core group yeah and and there's things that have happened amongst us behind the scenes yeah. that have made us very very tight and you know it's very hard to trust people in this business but i trust these guys you know they've really kind of i'm not it's the wrong thing to say to sort of they've proven themselves you know but they've proven to i i don't trust people very easily nowadays and i trust these guys so there is something something's happened there you know that's awesome and i think the band like a, a big corner has been turned you know so i think throughout the whole these years every couple of years i will be on the verge of packing it in and saying that's it i'm not doing it anymore now i can see it's not going to be the next within the next two years <laughs> maybe five <Yeah. laughs> it's better you know <laughs> that is yeah you're stretching it out a bit that's good it's a gain yeah it's a gain so when's uh, the new album yeah. set to come out uh, well, we wanted it to be the, before the end of the year, but the thing is, the pressing plants have got so many delays oh. with the with the you know the 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 core, the the core materials. So even if we, I mean, if we ordered the vinyl straight after the recording session back in whenever it was April May, they still wouldn't have been able to deliver until next year. Wow, this huge delay. Yeah, we're hoping that it's going to be. We're hoping that we can still have January February. Okay. You know, I think we want to get it out as soon as possible because, you know, we've got the single, yeah, but, you know, new singer and everything. And we want the album out before any of the next proper tour that we do. Okay. And I mean, that's a whole nother subject touring, but, um, yeah, I wanted to hopefully, hopefully fingers crossed we can tour next year, you know? And so the the new thing, that's the uh, painful reminder single, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I that is a- another another cover version. Yeah. <laughs> I was listening to that a bunch yesterday at work and it's just fantastic. And I love the artwork on it too. That, that Rose is just beautiful. Oh, you know what? I said Vigilante was the only one I've done. I, I did that one too. Oh, really? <laughs> that is... Get in. Yeah. <laughs> Validation right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, yeah, that's, that was... Uh, yeah, that's... But the, the song itself and everything, you know, I mean, it was weird because it'd been on my short list of cover versions to do anyway, because, you know, I've got a soft spot for um, SNFU and Chai Pig. And, and then he passed away last year. And, and, oh, uh, I it, yeah, and that's why we did it in the way that we did and presented it the way we did. Okay. Um, it kind of, it turned into a tribute to him. So it was the right time to put it out. And uh, yeah, right, there you go. So touring, and I'll, I promise we'll wrap up here. I've, I've kept you forever at this point, but when you're writing songs, is there uh, an idea of having to play them a lot to, to 
play them in the studios in a way that you can translate that to a live setting or are you having to go back and rearrange things to be able to play them live? Yeah. Uh, we've done a lot of songs that I neglected to think about playing. Them live. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, to, to our detriment. So when we, play, <laughs> when we play live, I believe that we should stick to our strengths <laughs> because as much as I'd love to play something like Baston Blues live, we will never do it justice because the recorded version of it has got such a vibe and it's got the strings and it's so layered. We're not going to do it unless we go on tour with an orchestra. Right. We're not going to get the same vibe. That's true. You know, that, yeah. I'd, ra I'd rather leave it alone and let the listener appreciate it for what it is, you know? That makes sense. Um, because I'm not about to go on tour and play the greatest hits, you know? Right. So we have tried to play those kind of songs um, live. We've, we've done it a few times with things like um, Scared and Alone or, or uh, something off, what was it? Off, not Operation Mince Meat. There's another one. Get Down and Live With It off Crafty Ape. Oh, okay. There, there was, there's been songs that we tried because we really wanted to play them and we wanted to present something to the fans that they'd not heard us play before. And they just didn't, it just, we could play it note perfect, yeah. but it's, it would sound shit because live, it did, it just, it's a vibe thing. It didn't have the same vibe. Okay. So we're a rock and roll band and at the end of the day, you know, and we put on rock and roll shows and we tend to stick to the, the songs that work live, you know? Yeah. Is it hard so, to put a, a set list together at this point with so much stuff? And, and so, you know, your songs are so, some of them are so long. It's hundreds of them as well now, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me because I, I, I tend to pick my favorites, which isn't everyone else's favorite. So, <laughs> uh, the, there's obviously, there's a group of songs that I think we'd get lynched if we didn't play. Like, like we forgot, forgot who, we are. who we are. Yeah. <laughs> Burn Reynolds, 444. There's probably another now. People always want to hear Fantastic Justice or something like that. Uh, or, oh, yeah. But so we tend to play maybe one or two of those. I mean, we've forgotten who we are. We've probably played it every single show since 2009, you know? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, so, it's, it's a great track. It's, it's one that, that it's definitely a standard. And that's the thing that an album like that is just, it, it's hard to leave anything off like of a lifetime is one of my favorite tracks that, that oh yeah you've yeah done. journey cover i love that the way you guys did that is just amazing I mean, the trouble with I Vigilante is that I'm I'm not a, I didn't really like the, the the drums on it because the the sound of the drums it's they sound like a demo or something. It's just not kind. Of, it's it, it basically it didn't come up to what I wanted it to be. But it's that you know it's like it's not my favorite album. I think it's got some of the best songs on it. But um, 
I mean, some of the best songs. I really like Troublemaker, <laughs> and I really like I really like We've Forgotten Who We Are, um, which is great because I, I don't get bored of playing that one, which is kind of lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I get bored of playing Burnt Reynolds, and I've you know. But, <laughs> Which is why I would probably still play it. I mean, my, my least favorite album actually is Crafty Ape because it's it's produced too well. It sounds too good. Ah, oh, wow! It's got no way. There's no edge to it. It's all everything's too nice, you know. <laughs> oh, wow, uh, okay. Um, so uh, I find it really boring. It's a boring album for me. Wow. I didn't feel that way at the time. I'll stand by it, you know. I'll stand by everything that we've done. Oh um, yeah. But but I think that's date that, that album's dated for me, you know. Okay, bronze. Is... Vigilante doesn't date, you know. No. that's the good thing about that album. I don't really like the production, but you know, it's what we had to work with. But it does, at least it doesn't date. I think my favorite probably is No Sadness or Farewell. Yeah. Oh God, that yeah. You know, because it's a weird it's a weird album, but it's got some of my favorite things on it. You know. I'm trying to pull some of these up because I listen to a lot of stuff while I'm at there's work. So much, you know, there's a lot to get through. Oh, there, there really is. And when I listen to it at work, I can't always look at the track listing. So some of the yeah. stuff I've been listening to for a while, I just, I just you know, don't know the You names. know what? You don't even have to explain because, I mean, I don't know the names of songs on some of my favorite albums. I See, I feel bad when I do that, though, because when I was a kid and I had all the time in the world, I could put on an album, I could sit on my bed and I could just read liner notes, read lyrics and do And yeah. I knew everything. Yeah. And now I'm just like, Oh yeah, I like yeah. that. I don't remember what song it is. I don't remember what album it's on. I don't remember what track yeah. number it is. It's weird. Into I think we all, we all go through the same thing, but yeah. Um, I wish I did like, like, I mean, I, w I really wish that I could remember song titles. It's just, I forget. Yeah. I forget them. It's, it's ironic really into because I'm so fussy about my own band because I'm, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so picky and meticulous about giving the songs their titles. Yeah. And I make such, but I even make the point. I'm always making the point about it. Like I give the songs their titles. <laughs> and, then I don't care, and then I don't care about other people's song titles. I mean, come on. I'm a fucking asshole, really. But... <laughs> does the new album have a title yet? Speaking of titles? It or... does. I'm allowed to tell you right now, I think. I don't even know. 
I have no idea at this point. <laughs> I, I mean, personally, I don't care. I just don't want to piss off management or the label or anything. Now, the the, the album's called Bane Fire. It's spelt B-A-N-E. Okay. F-Y-R-E. Oh, cool. Right. So it's Old English. Yeah. Um, it's an Old English spelling of the word bone fire. Oh, wow. And bonefire is the origin of bonfire. I didn't know that. Yeah. Man. That, so that, that's, that's what the album's called. And the bonefire, the, the origin of it, the, the, the whole thing that the, they used to call bonefire, of course, you know, yeah. burning of bones. Bonefire, it basically connects with when people were burned for being different. Uh, the okay. people were persecuted for being different. It's all about being outcasts. Ah. So, uh, a lot of the album is about being outcasts. Uh, um, if I, there's an outcast cover on this album, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> oh, the band outcast. Yeah. That... <laughs> Are you talking about the New York hardcore band outcast? No, <laughs> I was thinking of the uh, Andre 3000 outcast. <laughs> I would see Cripple Black Phoenix doing a cover of Hey Ya would be crazy. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I've got I've got some stranger ideas in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did that. We did a Ricky Nelson song. You know what I mean? Persecuted. It's about rebelling against being persecuted. Wow. It's about turning the tables. It's about retribution against people who persecute other people. So um, not only do the the bonfire thing, it's about burning people for div being different. It's also about burning the people who control you. It's burning the politicians. It's burning the the parliament down. It's burning Congress down. You know. I think this is a very um, well timed release. Yeah, it's very raw, it's very emotional. I'm excited because going back and listening to some of the albums I haven't heard in a while and some that I wasn't really familiar with at all, it's just really reminded me how much I enjoy your music and, and, oh, how, thanks, man. and how much much of it I'm missing that I'm going to have to get because <laughs> I didn't realize you know, that all the singles and EPs and things and, and compilations, so I'm going to have to step up my game here and go pick a few things up that I'm missing. <laughs> I'll, um, some of the some of the albums are pretty hard to get, but let me know what you need because, I mean, I don't have much here, but I, I do have a few extra copies of things knocking about. So you never know. Yeah, oh, I man. might have some. I'm happy to help. I will have to trade you something like uh, maybe a photo you can use in the artwork or, or a coffee a podcast coffee mug or something. I do have shower there curtains. We'll if, trade. We'll if, trade. Shower if you, cap. If you know curtains, if you need a if you need a shower curtain with my podcast logo on it, I can hook you up. Seriously, you do shower curtains? Yes. 
I have a glass door, but um, <laughs> I, Belinda uses shower curtains where uh, her, her apartment in uh, Stockholm. I will, uh, I'll forward you a photo of it. It's hilarious. It's, I don't know if you saw the, the logo itself. It's just a big, like sweaty microphone. When it's like performance anxiety, like 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 the old radio microphones would say that this radio station's name in an arc, it says performance oh, yeah, anxiety. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. I will send you a picture of it because it's freaking hilarious, and yeah. nobody's nobody's bought one yet, so. Oh, come on! I mean, what's not to love? I know it's great. Who wouldn't want performance anxiety on their shower in the morning? Yeah, first thing. I in love the that. I love, I love the podcast name, performance anxiety. Well, like. I think I think me and Belinda both relate to that I, a lot. The the one like, of the coolest parts is that my logo was actually done by this guy named Mark Dancy, and he mm. was in a band called Big Chief back in the nineties. And I, I remember had, Big Chief. You remember Big Chief? Yeah, from Detroit. They yeah, yeah, awesome. So Mark Dancy was like episode number two, and he actually ended up doing the logo for Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger album. So, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I said, how much would you charge her to do a logo for me? So he, he gave me yeah. some ridiculously low figure. And I'm like, okay, do it. Let's, let's do it. So, Excellent. So uh, I, the guy who did my logo was done by the same guy who did Soundgarden's logo. So Nice. Very cool. <laughs> so that, that, that makes me happy. Yeah. And I've had a few people say, you need to update it. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I can nah. at this point. Nah. No, I kind of like, the, yeah, I kind of like having that connection. Yeah, exactly. Just well, because something doesn't make it better anyway. So exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> well, look, man, I appreciate you spending so much time with me. I know you've got other things to do today, but thank you so much for all your time. I'm all right. I've, I've already done all my chores and everything. So before I let you go, I almost forgot. Is there uh, what's the best way for people to, to keep tabs on the band and find out releases and tours and where do they find that information? I mean, I guess the, the most relevant places is, is Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Um, I think they're, they're the ones that probably just, you know, cause they're, because they're interactive, they're, they're, they're always up to date and stuff. So excellent. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, just you, you, I mean, it's not difficult to find the band on right. Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess that's the, that's the, the right way. So awesome. Well, and I thank you so much. And I, I've, uh, appreciate your time and it's been so much fun talking to you and getting to know you yeah uh, cool man yeah it's very really enjoyable
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.